2: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. Allie Wentworth has a lot of titles. Actor, comedian, New York Times bestselling author, wife, mother, and podcast host. I'll add another title, one of the funniest people I know. You may recognize Allie Wentworth as Jerry's girlfriend Schmoopy on Seinfeld's classic Soup Nazi episode, or from her more than 100 appearances on the Tonight Show or from when she was a correspondent on Oprah Winfrey's show. You may also have read one of her best-selling books, Allie in Wonderland, Happily Allie After, and the latest Go Ask Allie, which shares a name with the podcast she launched last year.
3: I have gotten the biggest get in the entertainment world. It's not Beyonce, It's my daughter, Elliot Stephanopoulos. I'm talking about growing a teenager in a pandemic, and you are a teenager in a pandemic, and you're my teenager in a pandemic.
2: Allie and I have been friends for a while, and I've long admired her fearlessness in poking fun at herself and at others, including me.
3: Are you taking precautions not to have more kids, if I may be so bold? Because I feel like there's another 8 to 10 in you.
2: (laughs) My wife and I always struggle with that, which is you have a baby and you sit there and go, aren't they great? Yeah. Aren't they so great? What's yeah. one more? Yeah. What's one we do more? That, we
3: do that with dogs. Because <laughs> puppies are cute, just as cute as babies. So I get it. Yeah. I understand. I, I wish you guys could have some more for us. Because one of ours is going to college in the fall.
2: Let me ask you about that. You got married when you were how old?
3: 35.
2: And you had your first kid when you were how old?
3: 36.
2: Right. So it was not the typical, you know, no. like, look looking up. And
3: be- believe me, that was the right thing to do. I keep telling my daughters, do not rush into marriage. Right. Because everybody I know that got married in their 20s is divorced now. Right. I don't think you're the same person in your 20s that you are in your mid-30s.
2: But when you got married... And you certainly, I guess, from the get-go, didn't rule out having kids. Did you say to yourself, this is going to w- affect my work?
3: Not once.
2: You didn't think about that at all? No.
3: Well, I don't think I was ever big or famous enough to think that it would affect my work. And I was certainly not known for my body, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. it never felt like that. What I did was when I married George, we moved to D.C. so he could do his Sunday show this week. And so I thought, all right, how do I recalibrate everything? How do I pivot and so that I can have a career? But I live in Washington, D.C., which is, you know, if you're an actor, it doesn't <laughs> exist, you know? So I started writing. I started writing a book and then Oprah hired me so I would go to Chicago once a week, which was a fantastic job. So I tried to figure out a way to have some kind of a career. But here, at the end of the day, you know, not to use a disgusting word, but George's career, he, it trumped mine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was really like we had to kind of go where he went. So yeah,
2: no, I mean I, I understand, but I just was thinking that you know you are someone, and I don't say this you know just to be pleasant or whatever. I mean I no, think no, please do I, no, but I think you're really fucking funny. I mean you're funny. Oh,
3: thank you, Alex.
2: And if someone came to you now and they said to you, you're going to do a, a four-camera sitcom in New York, and you're going to shoot 18 episodes or 22 episodes, would the answer be yes? Or do you like the way things are now, which is you work a little bit, you don't have to work?
3: I'd say yes. They're grown. They have their own independent lives. I'm They needier. have no use
2: for you. Yeah. They no, have no
3: use for you. me. They know how to make a sandwich. I'm needier than ever. And also, I'm faced with mortality. You know, I got my shelf life is, you know... Unless they're going to reboot the Golden Girls. Even those girls were like in their mid-50s. Yeah. (laughs) So I would absolutely do that. And there are things that we would adjust. You know, when I did Nightcap, which you and your wife were on and were so hilarious, there are, you know, I created a couple shows that took a lot of energy. And in, in one show, Headcase, about I played a very dysfunctional shrink, we were shooting in L.A. and I was going back and forth in the red eye and I got shingles because I was completely stressed out. And that's right. when I said, I can't work in L.A.
2: I wonder for you, I mean, you've worked and then you raised your kids and you worked less than you might have. Because I, I mean, I view you as somebody who you could just be working all the time. You could be doing starring in a show, uh, a network sitcom, 22 episodes. I mean, whatever you want to do, you'd have no problem doing it.
3: Yeah. Although there for me, there's a different thing, which is I just have no, like, what uh, what the fuck is how I think about everything now. Great. If you said to me right now, let's go do Love Letters at the Wharf Theater, I'd go, great. Let's do it. Like, I, I have nothing to lose, and I'm excited for anything that's sort of new and different and happy to perform because I'm not so focused on myself anymore at all.
2: When you did Nightcap, <laughs> whose idea was that? You? Was that all completely self-generated?
3: Yes. Yeah. And how
2: many episodes did you do?
3: We did two seasons of about... Thirty something, and it it came. Yeah, we did. How many
2: episodes per season?
3: God, we did. I want to say sixteen or so. I mean, a lot. But the great thing about that show was I used to do the Tonight Show all the time. Jay Leno had me on all like I did it over a hundred times. And I didn't necessarily have anything to promote. They would call me and say, you know, Melanie Griffith has a flu. Can you be here in 20 minutes? And I would go in and just tell funny stories. And I'm not a stand-up comedian. So I would really just have to pull stuff from my life. And while I was there, I would see the most incredible things. Like from celebrities, you know, because I was always the second guest. And, you know, just like I remember one guy came in, movie star, and his stylist came in with racks and racks of the same white shirt and the same pair of jeans. So he was going to decide right before he went out, you know, just crazy stuff. Or the publicist and the actress were not coming out of the wardrobe room because they were having sex. And the PAs are running around going like, you know, where? And I just thought, this is the show. Who gives a shit what the the actors say or promoting their movie? Whatever's happening behind here is is the show.
2: Now, you came from a very proper family, correct? Yes. How would you describe it? You came from what kind of family?
3: Dysfunctional, but proper (laughs) proper Properly dysfunctional, yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I went to boarding school. My mother was social secretary of the Reagan White House. Only Democrat in the Reagan White House. Oh, wow. Yeah. My stepfather was one of the editors of the London Sunday Times and chief foreign correspondent. And my father was a reporter during Watergate for the Washington Post. So I grew up in that world.
2: And when you went into this business, I mean, did your family have a different plan for you?
3: Listen, for my family, when I said I want to be an actor, they thought it was just a phase. I would grow out right, of it. Sure. And then I said, no, 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 I'm going to be an actor. And then my mother was basically like, well, then just go be a whore. Then just go <laughs> go to a brothel and put your name on the So right. they didn't get it at all.
2: At least Las Vegas is sunny. Yes. Go to the Mustang Ranch. It's warm there.
3: Yes. And if you can dance, <laughs> even better. So... I, I you know, left all that. I went to L.A. I didn't know anybody. I had no connections in that world at all. And How old were
2: you to L.A.? Right out of college?
3: Right out of NYU, yep.
2: So four years at NYU?
3: Four years at NYU. For what? Acting, okay, circle for, okay. in the square. Ooh. And somebody at William Morris came to see me in a play, and he said, you have a nice generic girl next door, best friend look, you should go to L.A. And I went, all right. All right. Sure. Yeah, sure. And so I went to L.A., and I thought that I would eventually marry Hugh Grant or Matthew Perry or one of those guys. and The head of the
2: studio. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, if my boobs were bigger. But then uh, I met George, and I, you know, it was like the godfather.
2: Comedian Allie Wentworth. When it comes to great episodes from the Here's the Thing archives, you can always check out my episode with Mr. Allie Wentworth, George Stephanopoulos. Or for more funny women who can really write, my conversation with Paula Pell, who was a writer at Saturday Night Live for nearly 20 years.
1: I was always a bit of a class clown. I really pushed the envelope because I would be funny in class and I'd do things like one of
3: my teachers, I would go by him and drag my hand along the chalk shelf and then I'd come over and I'd say, you know, Mr. Gersh, you're just a really great teacher and I'd pat him on the back and I'd leave like a (laughs) handprint.
1: He'd let me make him a little bit the fool for a moment and then he'd do, Mm. you know, he looked like Rob Reiner and all in the family had the big bushy mustache and the long hair. He played along. He just kind
3: of looked a camera three, you know, non-existent. (laughs) And the audience would you know the audience the class would, sure. would crack up
2: hear more of my conversation with paula pell at org. when we come back ali talks about being set up on a blind date with george stephanopoulos I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. In the spring of 2001, Allie Wentworth was newly back in New York City and found herself talked into a life-changing lunch. Where did you first see him face-to-face in person?
3: At Fred's, which was the restaurant at Barney's on 61st and Madison. That's where we were going to meet. And I, of course, I knew who he was. He was George Stephanopoulos.
2: Oh, it was a blind date.
3: Ish. I mean, I knew who he was, of course.
2: Right. But who set you up on the date?
3: An old friend of his that worked in the White House with him.
2: Why did they think that would be a good match?
3: We were going to swap. I offered up my older brother, who was in L.A., who worked <laughs> for David Lynch. And she offered up George, thinking, you know, George was a, a one-date wonder. Like, he never got serious. So it was very easy for her to trade him up because she knew he wouldn't go on a second date with me.
2: He wasn't married before?
3: Never. Never lived with anybody. I'm the first person he said, I love you to. Wow. My virgin bride. So when I, we were being set up, I was not interested. And, and George gives me so much shit about it because he said, that's not true. That's not true. But I wasn't. He was not my type. I didn't want anybody from the political world. I like a... Tall, simian looking man. And so he was just, (laughs) you know, I I thought this will be my, you know, my date with George Stephanopoulos. It'll be like a New Yorker article someday. You know what I mean?
2: Part of my routine.
3: Yeah, part of my routine, which it has become anyway. But I didn't shower. I didn't shove my legs. I wore a black suit because that meant smart to me. I read the New York Times, the financial section. I read the whole thing. And I thought we'll have a really interesting intellectual conversation, and that'll be that. And I got to Fred's and there was George in an Armani suit that was way too big with the shoulder pads. And I went, all right, all right, no, don't be shallow, look beyond it, look beyond okay. it. And we sat down and the first thing we talked about was antidepressants. What, what are you on, what are you on? And I thought, okay, this is good.
2: This is the glue.
3: This is the glue and we both ordered crab salad and afterwards he walked me out and he shook my hand. Now in LA where I was living, If you went out with somebody and they shook your hand, they weren't interested. If they didn't drag you by the hair like a caveman into their gross bachelor pad in West Hollywood, then they weren't interested. So, And George went, it's very nice to meet you. And I went, oh, Jesus. okay, very nice to meet you. And then that night, he called me and said, do you want to come out again? And I didn't play the game. I don't know how to play games. So I said to him, yep, I'm free tonight. I'm free tomorrow night. Listen, I'm supposed to go away for the weekend with my mom (laughs) and sisters, but I'll blow that off. You liked him. I did like him.
2: What about him did you like?
3: I was attracted to him, which I did not think I would be. I found him, and still do, very sexy. And I, I found his brain very sexy, and he has the a of cute course. smile. And I've written about it, and I've said it's like a good melon, but it felt like, oh, you're my people.
2: My wife, same thing. Like, the way she looked, her hair color, her yeah. voice, all of it. I was like... Oh, God, she's my dream girl. You know, I
3: felt that way when I met her, too, by the way.
2: But you and my wife had a very intimate moment on the show. It was really...
3: Well, and I wrote that for a reason. I wrote to have <laughs> right. your wife's vagina on my face right. for about six seconds. Yeah. And...
2: You got a lot... As they say in Bye Bye Birdie, you got a lot of living yeah. to do.
3: Or as I like to say, I got yeah. a whiff and I get it. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh, God. so anyway, yes, all that stuff, all that chemical stuff happened. Chemistry. Yes. And uh, that weekend, I was going to a spa with my mother and my sisters, and I spent the whole time on the phone with George. They were all yoga-ing and eating bran muffins. And I was at Canyon Ranch with my head out the window, chain smoking and talking to George the whole time. Every once in a while, they come back and they'd you know, throw some almond butter at me. And then we were engaged two months later, and that felt like it took a long time. It did.
2: (laughs) Took me two whole fucking months to close this deal. I was like, hello,
3: hello. And then we went to Greece, and I knew that he had a ring.
2: (sighs) How did you know?
3: His nephew dealt in jewelry. I don't know what that means, but it sounds shady. But he dealt in jewelry, and George <laughs> had to go have breakfast with him the day we were leaving for Greece. And I thought there's only one reason he would meet his nephew who deals in jewelry. And I, it was in his knapsack. So the whole way to Greece, I kept hiding his knapsack in the lounge and on the plane, just because That's I'd funny. like to see him sweat, don't
2: he mess had with to him, really <laughs> fuck
3: him up. To- and then we we were in Mykonos, and he proposed to me. And I have to tell you, not ever being a celebrity myself, I had no idea until he proposed to me in Mykonos and somehow the press found out about it. And we had photographers all over the rocks, across the water from our hotel. And we would walk down the street, and there'd be 30 paparazzi all over us. And George's hand would be sweating, and he'd say like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Allie, I'm so sorry. I was like, what are you talking about?
2: Yeah. George, could you step back for a moment? You're in my light, George.
3: Who wants singles, guys? Who wants singles? I mean, you know, yes. I, I all yes. but took my shirt off. It was all very exciting that first time, you know, that kind of Tom and Nicole moment. Sure. And, then it, and then it was horrible. Yeah. But, but it was fun for that day.
2: Now, that magical moment on Mykonos uh, when he finally found the knapsack that you hid under the yes. rocks and said, oh, some guy came in. I think that guy on the bicycle yes. there just stole the knapsack, George. Catch him, George. catch him, catch him. Run, George, run. When when you did all that, at the moment that he presents you with the ring, yeah. were you both on antidepressants at that moment? Or did you abstain?
3: Uh, I was. <laughs> he was off by then. I think the, the White House really took it out of him. But then I was still on definitely still on. And in fact, the funny, you should bring that up because we went on our honeymoon and I decided to self-regulate and self-medicate. And I decided I didn't need antidepressants anymore. I didn't realize that you taper off. You know, so I just mm-hmm. went cold turkey and that was bad yeah. because I was naked in the fetal position in our bathroom. It was yeah. it was right. apocalypse now.
2: Covered in bird poop. They found you in the pond with all the cranes. The, covered <laughs> in crane with the poop. The flamingo
3: leg in my mouth and I don't know how it happened. Yeah. yeah. So, I had to get Zola FedExed to the Caribbean.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, it's funny because in my lifetime, if I've ever taken things which were like sleep aids, I've got horrible insomnia and I have all my adult life. I'm 35 years sober. I've been in AA 30. This year was 36 years.
3: Congratulations.
2: Well, thank you. And I always tell people that I haven't slept since the day I got sober. Yeah. Once I stopped drinking, I couldn't sleep. So I have really, really like, so at times I have like crippling insomnia. Like I sleep like maybe three hours a night. You know what I mean? And the problem with it is if I took any kind of drugs and it didn't help, I woke up tired and groggy. Yeah. So I got very, very nervous about any kind of medication because God knows if I found one that worked, I'd be, I wouldn't even be talking no. to you right now. I'd yeah, be a You'd
3: be right Sonny yeah. Well, I, um, <laughs> I took Ambien once. I was in LA and I come from New York and time difference, blah, 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 took Ambien, went to the Malibu Mart, that shopping center in Malibu, and bought six jeans of the exact same jean in the exact same size, and I don't remember doing it. I also got an email the next day from Pottery Barn Kids asking what address did I want the princess canopy bed delivered? Don't remember. <laughs>
2: Well, one thing I would do when I was in the kind of Lovecraftian baffles of my insomnia, I'd sit there and I'd start to buy things online, like antique alarm clocks. Yeah. I'd, be like, I'd be like, you know, I'm like, Who, where's this guy? In Germany? They probably have better alarm clocks in Germany than here. How much does he want for the alarm clock? $1,800? And I could probably get the same thing at a flea market in Syracuse for like $30. Like, I don't care. I want it.
3: Do you meditate?
2: Uh, I do now. Yeah, I do a lot of deep breathing. I do what's called clavicle breathing, where you try to literally fill your lungs up to where you almost can feel your lungs at the bottom of your chin if you breathe deep enough. And I do this very deep breathing meditation thing to sleep, and it does yeah. work. But one time, I take an Ambien. Like, I work, 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 and it gets to be 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night, and I'm like, okay, sleep. One, two, three, sleep. Oh, God. Simon says, sleep, and I can't sleep. So I take the Ambien, nothing happens. I take another one, nothing happened. Oh, God. I take the third one. I think I took the third and the fourth one. Then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm literally laying in bed and I'm watching, you know, Jimmy Fallon. And I'm and my daughter Ireland calls. And I think, like, while I'm on the phone call, she's in California. She was like 14. Yeah. And I go, um, so I think maybe tomorrow I'm going to get a ticket. And I'm like, Jesus. I go out. And Ireland's going, dad, dad. And I go, this is a true story. And I go, I'm okay. I took these pills. (laughs) I took these pills. And I'm trying to go to sleep now. I'm like, how? In 2001, they're disconnecting. Kira DeLay's disconnecting my circuits. And the next thing you know, I hear, bang, 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 bang.
3: Uh-oh.
2: On the service elevator door of my apartment, it's three firemen with axes.
4: Oh, my God.
2: And an EMT medic, and they're like, "We got a phone call, Mister Baldwin. We're really sorry. We got a call from your daughter. You have to put your clothes on and come with us, sir, right now, to the hospital." And I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about. Are you a fireman, or <laughs> oh is this my uh, God. is this trick or treat? You want some candy? You're like I'm so out and it. naked. They take, me, they make me get dressed. No, I'm in a bathrobe. They take me, they take me to the hospital. And I go, okay." I start to sober up very quickly, and I go, I took one too many Ambien because they weren't working. They were like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, Mr. Baldwin, sure. And I never took another one of those fucking things again. My daughter called the police because she thought I was ODing.
3: But good for Ireland to know how to do that. I think Ambien's dangerous. You do? Yes, yes. People have all these crazy Ambien stories. I took him away from George because he was taking them for a while. He only sleeps like four or five hours anyway.
2: Because of his schedule?
3: Yeah. We go to bed at 8 and 8.30 and I go with him.
2: That's love. That's love. Now, you go to sleep or you just lay next to him and you're like on YouTube?
3: Um, no, no phones allowed in the bed and no TV.
2: You're in bed and you're trying to get to sleep at 8, 8.30 yeah. and he's up what time?
3: 2, 2.30. No! Yeah. He gets up, he reads every newspaper and... Here's, here's the thing. We start, just started a production company, so he's up at 2.30, not only reading all the papers, he's reading scripts, he's reading articles, he's doing, doing all of it, which he loves. He loves this kind of new thing. He, he's got this deal with Hulu, and it's all very exciting, so he can't sleep because of that. You know, he wants to get up and, you know, read stuff, starring vehicles for Alec Baldwin. So he sleeps, I don't know, five hours, maybe? We just were on vacation, and you know he slept in because he slept till four. So I never am awake when he wakes up in the morning. So I have to go to bed with him at night, or we're not. How's the marriage?
2: Now, what did your family think when you married George?
3: They couldn't believe it. They, they love him. My mother hysterically cried. I think she wanted to marry him, but it was it was okay if I did. You know, she was beyond excited. I was bringing home comedy writers. And then I brought home a French director. And My mother goes, you have an affair with him. You don't marry him. (laughs) So they were beyond thrilled when I married George. I mean, still, they all love him the most. What does George want? What does George say? What would George want for dinner? There's a lot of that.
2: Beyond the war room, Bergala and Clinton and Carville and your husband, uh, beyond all of them, in the promotional Lap that you take. I am always happy to do Good Morning America and I will say, can I do it with George? Can I do my segment with George? Because I'm so admiring of him. And he did my podcast.
3: I will say one thing to this, which is what I love about George is he's genuinely curious. It could be anybody. It could be Chuck Schumer. It could be Zach Efron. If it's not an area that he knows about, he's interested to know about. It, truly. You know, he doesn't just go, oh, it's an actor who fucking cares. He's like, all right, I'm interested. What is this person? What can I glean from this? Which I think is a very interesting trait and a great trait.
2: Comedian and author, Allie Wentworth. If you're enjoying this conversation, tell a friend and be sure to follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After the break... Allie talks about parenting in a pandemic, her social media rules for her teenage daughters, and how she learned to be funny.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
2: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Allie Wentworth is one of those people everyone, friends and strangers alike, ask for advice. Last year, when she got COVID, she had the inspiration for her own podcast, Go Ask Allie.
3: We were, you know, everything takes forever in this business. So we were talking. I was talking to Deland about it. And then in the middle of the COVID, I called them and I said, you know what? I had COVID. I'm lying here in bed. I have two teenage daughters downstairs. I said, I'm ready to do a podcast, and it's going to be how you grow a teenager in a pandemic. And they're like, great.
2: What's been the challenges for you about that?
3: Um, there have been good and bad. The, you know, the girls have anxiety like me and George. So they worry. They worry about school, and they worry what's going to happen, and they're worried about college. Our eldest, Elliot, is is going to Brown in the fall, but there's no prom. There's a lot of that. Now, on the one hand, there's no FOMO, so you're not missing anything. But it's not natural for two teenage girls to be home with their parents for a year and not see anybody. No. On the flip side, in terms of our family, it was fantastic. To have George have that kind of time with his kids, we would have three-hour dinners where we had amazing discussions. We, as a family, we really kind of grew and it was fantastic but it's not good for them i kept saying like you know i don't want them to go drop molly or give hand jobs but they should be out kissing boys and you know what having normal teenage experiences <laughs>
2: they should be living they should they be should living, be living yeah and making mistakes learning all of from it, those mistakes all of it
3: and yeah. then there's the social media part of it which is you know their whole they got sucked into that little social media void which was their only contact their only connection which you know i, I have such specific and strong views about social media also I don't want my girls to sort of sexualize themselves because there's such a dangled carrot about like get likes be sexy and I'm like I don't ever want to see my, bikini shots I don't you know um, to me that's a hole yeah. you're trying to fill like you be substantial
2: you have two girls two
3: girls yeah and I said this stuff also that you're gonna put on social media colleges everybody looks at that stuff and that stuff can come back to haunt you so
2: yeah, I have made my mistakes on social media, because what I realized was, I thought to myself, oh, this is my chance to bypass the mainstream media and talk directly to my fans. And after about a year and a half, I thought, mm, maybe I would like to have a little membrane between me and my fans. Yes, yes. Lorne Michaels had a great line. He said, you know, he said, you know uh, YouTube, the logo is broadcast yourself, he said. And one thing we've learned is maybe it's nice to have a layer of producers and executives between you. And the camera. Yeah. And, you, and you're broadcasting yourself. Yeah. And, and to a large degree, he's right. Elliot is yes. going to Brown. And the other one is how old?
3: She's 15. She's a sophomore. And let me tell you something. She's an amazing babysitter. Like, she is a baby. I'm not kidding. She's a baby whisperer. She'll take all 74 of your kids at one time.
2: <laughs> what do you think it is that for me, when I was young, I would watch TV you had to watch tv and had to really watch it there was no pause no rewind no vcr no nothing zippo network tv broadcast tv so you watched and you become funny by absorbing what's funny from other people and i'd watch anything i'd watch bob hope and you name it how was that in your life like what was media like in your childhood
3: well we were only allowed to watch one hour of television a week That was the rule. But I had divorced parents. So when I went to see my dad on the weekend, his second wife hated the fact that he had kids from a former marriage. So she would put me in front of the TV with one of those heat up TV trays. And I would watch Bob Newhart, Carol Burnett. I would watch that whole Friday lineup. And that's exactly where I learned Oh, that's funny. If you wear the curtain rod on your right. shoulder, that's funny. That's right. funny. And it's instinctual, too. Because I remember once I had a meeting with Jodie Foster, and she said to me, Did you take classes for comedy? I said, I never took classes. I was part of the groundlings when I moved to LA. And she goes, That's because it's instinctual. You cannot teach it. And she's right, it is instinctual. And that, Watching Carol Burnett was an instinctual kind of osmosis for me.
2: What I think is interesting about you is that I've worked with people who, they're actors, by and large, and the concentration is comedy. They're comic actors, who they themselves are not that funny. Right. Off the set, they don't think of funny things. They don't say funny things.
3: Isn't that interesting?
2: And you yourself are funny. You're funny whether you're, whatever the writing is, whatever the situation is. And you're saying that that came from just osmosis.
3: And then you learn over the years, you learn, oh, this makes people laugh. When I was a teenager, I was fat because I went to Spain and I ate as much as I could. And my mother walked by me in the airport, looked at me right in the eye and kept walking, didn't know it was me. You went to
2: Spain when you were a teenager?
3: Yeah, I went for four months. I love Spain and I loved the country, the people, the language. And I went to live with a family who were obese and they ate like they ate like six meals a day, like potatoes and oil, sangria, and they fed me like a foie gras goose. They just shoved food in my mouth. I gained 40 pounds and (sighs) couldn't be happier. I, I even broke a chicken's neck, you know, the whole thing. So I came back and I was fat. And listen, when you're fat in high school, you go, all right, so I'm not, no one wants to hook up with me. So I'm going to find a different route. So I was funny.
2: And what ages you were, you were overweight between what years of your life?
3: Uh, Sophomore year in high school till sophomore year in college.
2: So not that long, five, six years. Of the most
3: formidable years.
2: No, critical years. Yeah.
3: But I still got the guy. But that's all about, again, like honing that comedy thing. And you have an audience of people at a party or hanging out, and that's where you learn it. You know, you learn very quickly what gets a laugh, what doesn't. And same with stories. The reason I would go do The Tonight Show all the time is because I had already rehearsed those stories at a dinner party. And so I knew they worked. So if I got a call, you know, even today when I go do a talk show, I go, oh, you know, it was really funny. It was that thing that George and I just did. And I remember telling my kids that and they were laughing really hard. I'm going to tell that story. So that's what you do.
2: It's like the little metal box your mother had in the kitchen with recipes where the index cards went. And in yours, this is your brain. You have a file with all those stories you tell. Yeah. How did you lose weight?
3: It fell off naturally. It just—it wasn't supposed to be. It fell off naturally.
2: She reversed. I reversed the course. Reversed when the you course. Got home.
3: But you know, I have only had one scene where I was scantily clothed. I never had a career where I worried about that feeling of oh, I'm going to do this film. I got to get in shape. I got to work out. Never.
2: Now you have a cadre of show business chicks that are your great buddies. I do. Correct? I have
3: a. I have a little posse. You guys
2: have your own yeah. little club. Yeah. 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 You have a posse.
3: Yeah, I do. Yeah, Mariska, Brooke, Shields,
2: and Deb Messing.
3: Deb Messing. Yeah. When she's in town. I mean, Mariska and I, during the pandemic, we kind of quarantined together, like our families. So I saw her a lot during the pandemic. Too much. And so, you know, some of the other girls I haven't really seen as much. Brooke, I have. But, you know, now that things are opening up and people are getting vaccinated, we can be a full-on girl power group.
2: What do you watch? Name two or three things you watch drama or comedy, that you really, really thought were special. Because I respect your opinion a lot.
3: I watched Lupin on Netflix.
2: Okay. You say it like, oh, like everyone knows. Lupin?
3: I'm sorry. I thought, well...
2: I'm sorry. I didn't go to boarding school. What is Lupin?
3: No, these people in my literary soiree and I watch Lupin. (laughs) And (laughs) Lupin is fantastic. It's this incredibly dynamic, handsome black guy who's a thief and whose father was set up to seem like he he was like a butler, that he stole a diamond necklace from a Madoff-type guy and went to jail and killed himself in jail. And the son becomes this international thief and seeks revenge by stealing this necklace at Sotheby's. Anyway, it's, it's a cat and mouth great show. Um, I watched Promising Young Woman. I thought that was a great movie, streaming movie. Oh, Call My Agent? You would love it, Alec. It's just like Nightcap. It's about a dysfunctional agents in Paris, they're always pandering to their clients. In
2: French, with subtitles. With
3: subtitles, yes. Tell me what you've been watching, besides Nickelodeon.
2: Right, besides a, a lot of Powerpuff Girls.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I sent
2: an email to Owen Wilson, and I said, Owen, I said, my God, these Cars movies. I said, you are such a part of my kid's child. You're such a part of my life. We've watched these fucking movies We've watched each of the three movies a hundred times yeah,
3: each. Yeah.
2: And I can't tell you how fabulous you are in this. You're so great. These movies mean so they have every cars, every lightning McQueen bed sheets, bath towel, yeah. slippers, every fucking thing. And he writes me back, just like, oh how great, <laughs> great. Yeah, Lightning McQueen was so good for me, too. But yeah, Disney Plus, it's like the eternal flame at Arlington. It's on in my house 24 hours a day, Disney Plus. But for me, because the Hamptons International Film Festival is coming, I watch a lot of docs. I watch a lot of docs, a lot. And there's one that came on that was really fun, if you can. Because we look for like a mix of something serious and topical or biographical you know, when uh, Susan Lacey did the bio of Jane Fonda, I yep. loved that loved movie. It. Loved, yep. loved. Yep. And um, really well done. But we, there's one called Lily Topples the World. And it's about a woman who's the Domino's champion. She's the Choluli of dominoes. She does arrangements that all radiate out into patterns that are like
3: Amazing A
2: a Georgia O'Keeffe painting results from her tapping one thing You can't believe this this young woman, what she does Let me tell you something, you're still one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life I got a part for you
3: Alright, what do I gotta do? I hope there's nudity
2: (laughs) There is no nudity All All right. Thank you for doing this with us
3: Alec, thank you
2: My love to you
3: My love to you
2: Actor, comedian, and author, Allie Wentworth. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. We're produced by Kathleen Russo, Kerry Donahue, and Zach McNeese. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Thanks for listening.